Hello, members first, obviously, because the members will get this long before anyone else will. So, I'm sorry again about the fan in the background, but it's very hot here in the UK, so it's needed not just for me, but for my dogs as well. Joan the Martyr is what we are on. At nine o'clock, the Maid of Orleans, deliverer of France, went forth in the grace of her innocence and her youth to lay down her life for the country she loved with such devotion and for the king that had abandoned her. She sat in the cart that is used only for felons. In one respect, she was treated worse than a felon, for whereas she was on her way to be sentenced by civil arm, she already bore a judgment inscribed in advance upon a mitre-shaped cap which she wore, heretic relapsed, apostate, idolater. In the cart with her sat the friar Martin Ladvenu, and Mietta Jean Massieu. She looked girlishly fair and sweet and saintly in a long white robe, and when a gush of sunlight flooded her as she emerged from the gloom of the prison, and was yet for a moment still framed in the arch of the sombre gate, the mass multitudes of poor folk murmured, A vision, a vision, and sank to their knees praying, many of the women weeping, and the moving invocation for the dying arose again and was taken up and borne along. A majestic wave of sound, which accompanied the doomed, solacing and blessing her, all the sorrowful way to the place of death. Christ, have pity. Saint Margaret, have pity. Pray for her. All ye saints, archangels and blessed martyrs, pray for her. Saints and angels, intercede for her. From thy wrath, good Lord, deliver her. O Lord God, save her. Have mercy on her. We beseech thee, good Lord. It is just and true, one of the histories has said. The poor and the helpless had nothing but their prayers to give Joan of Arc. But these, we may believe, were not unveiling. There are few more pathetic events recorded in history than this weeping, helpless, praying crowd, holding their lighter candles and kneeling on the pavement beneath the prison walls of the old fortress. And it was so all the way, thousands upon thousands massed upon their knees, stretching far down the distances, thick sown with the faint yellow candle flames, like a field starred with golden flowers. But there were some that did not kneel. These were the English soldiers. They stood elbow to elbow on each side of Joan's road, and walled it in all the way. And behind these living walls knelt the multitudes. By and by, a frantic man in priest's garb came wailing and lamenting and tore through the crowd and the barriers of the soldiers and flung himself on his knees by Joan's cart and put up his hands in supplication, crying out, Oh, forgive, forgive, it was Lord Solier. And Joan forgave him, forgave him out of a heart that knew nothing but forgiveness, nothing but compassion, nothing but pity for all that suffer. Let their offence be what it might. And she had no word of reproach for this poor wretch who had wrought day and night with deceits and treacheries and hypocrisies to betray her to her death. The soldiers would have killed him, but the Earl of Warwick saved his life. What became of him is not known. He hid himself from the world somewhere to endure the remorse as he might. In the square of the old market stood the two platforms and the stake that had stood before it in the churchyard of St. Ouen. The platforms were occupied as before, the one by Joan and a judge, judges, the other by great dignitaries, 
the principal being Couchon, and the English. Cardinal Winchester, the square was packed with people. The windows and roofs of the blocks of buildings surrounded it were black with them. When the preparations had been finished, all noise and movement gradually ceased, and a waiting stillness followed, which was solemn and impressive. And now, by order of Couchon, an ecclesiastic named Nicholas Midi preached a sermon, wherein he explained that when a branch of the vine, which is a church, becomes deceased and corrupt, it must be cut away, or it will corrupt and destroy the whole vine. He made it appear that Joan, through a wickedness, was a menace and a peril to the church's purity and holiness, and a death therefore necessary. When he was come to the end of the discourse, he turned to order and paused a moment. Then he said, Joan, the church can no longer protect you. Go in peace. Joan had been placed wholly apart and conspicuous to signify the church's abandonment of her, and she sat there in her loneliness, waiting in patience and resignation for the end. Couchon dressed her now. He had been advised to read the form of her adjuration to her, and had brought it with him, but he changed his mind, fearing that she would pro proclaim the truth that she had never knowingly abjured, and so being shame upon him and eternal infamy. He contented himself with admonishing her to keep in mind her wickedness, and repent of them, and think of her salvation. Then he solemnly pronounced her excommunicate and cut off from the body of the church. With a final word, he delivered her over to the securely arm for judgment and sentence. Joan, weeping, knelt and began to pray. For whom? Herself? Oh no, not for herself. For the King of France. A voice rose sweet and clear and penetrated all hearts with its passion pathos. She never thought of his treacheries to her. She never thought of his desertion of her. She never remembered that it was because he was an ingrate that she was here to die a miserable death. She remembered that only that he was her king, that she was his loyal and loving subject, and that his enemies had undermined his cause with evil reports and false charges, and he not by to defend himself. And so in the very presence of death, she forgot her own troubles to implore all in her hearing, to be just to him, to believe that he was good and noble and sincere, and not in any way to blame for any acts of hers, neither advising them nor urging them, but being wholly clear and free of all responsibility for them. Then closing, she begged in humble and touching words that here all present would pray for her and would pardon her, both her enemies and such as might look friendly upon her and feel pity for her in their hearts. There was only one out there that was not even touched, even the English, even the judges showed it, and there was many a lip that trembled and many an eye that was blurred with tears, yes. Even the English cardinals, that man with a political heart of stone but a human heart of flesh. The peculiar judge who should have delivered judgment and pronounced sentence was himself so disturbed that he forgot his duty. And Joan went to a death, unsentenceless, completing with the illegality that had begun illegally and had so continued to the end. He only said to the guards, Take her, and to the executioner, do your duty. Joan asked for a cross. None was able to furnish one, but an English soldier broke a stick in two and crossed the pieces and tied them together, and this cross he gave to her, moved it by the good heart that was in him, and she kissed it and put it to her bosom. Then Isambard de Lepierre went to the church near by and brought her a consecrated one, and this one also she kissed and pressed it to her bosom, 
with rapture and then kissed it again and again, covering it with tears and pouring out her gratitude to God and the saints. And so weeping and with her cross to her lips, she climbed up the cruel steps to face of the stake with the friar Isambard at her side. Then she was helped up to the top of the pile of wood that was built around the lower third of the stake and stood up with her back against the stake and the world gazing up at her breathless. The executioner ascended to her side and wound chains around her slender body and so fastened her to the stake. Then he descended to finish his dreadful office and there she remained alone. She that had so many friends in the days when she was free, that had been so loved and so dear. All these things I saw, albeit dimly and blurred with tears, but I could bear no more. I continued in my place, but what I shall deliver to you now, I got by others' eyes and others' mouths. Tragic sounds there were that pierced my ears and wounded my heart as I sat there, but it is as I tell you. The latest image recorded by my eyes is that desolating hour was Joan of Arc with the grace of her comely youth, still unmarred, and that image untouched by time or decay, has remained with me all my days. Now I will go on. If any thought that now, in that solemn hour, when all transgressors repent and confess, she would revoke a revocation and say her great deeds have been evil deeds and Satan and his friends their source, they erred. No such thing was in her blameless mind. She was not thinking of herself and her troubles, but of others, and of woes that might befall them. And so, turning her grieving eyes about her, where rose the towers and spies of that fair city, she said, O oh, Rouen, Rouen, must I die here, and must you be my tomb? Ah, Rouen, Rouen, I have great fear that you will suffer for my death. A whiff of smoke swept upward past her face, and for a moment terror seized her and she cried out, Water, give me holy water, but the next moment her fears were gone, and there came no more torture to her. She heard the flames crackling below her and immediately distressed for a fellow creature who was in danger took possession of her. It was the friar Isambard. She had given him a cross and begged him to raise it toward her face and let her eyes rest in hope and consolation upon it till she was entered into the peace of God. She made him go out from the danger of the fire, then she was satisfied and said, Now keep it always in my sight until the end. Not even yet could Cushon, that man without shame, endure to let her die in peace, but went toward her all black with crimes and sins he was and cried out, I am come, Joan, to exhort you for the last time to repent, seek the pardon of God. I die through you, she said, and these were her last words she spoke to any upon earth. Then the pitchy smoke shot through with red flashes of flame and rolled up in a thick volume and hid her from sight, and from the heart of this darkness her voice rose strong and eloquent in prayer, and when by moments the wind shredded somewhat of the smoke aside, there were veiled glimpses of an upturned face and moving lips. At last, a mercifully swift tide of flame burst upward, and none saw the face any more, nor that form. And the voice was still. Yes, she was gone from us. Joan of Arc, what little words are they to tell of a rich world now made empty and pureless? That's the next part of um, 
Joan of Arc. That's that's her death. She didn't deserve it, you know. She didn't do anything wrong.